I like that. That's, that's from a, I don't know what you call it. It was like a drama thing in the Marion Civic Center. I still remember Nanette Franks called and said, Hey, I've got some tickets to this thing. Do you want to go, Judy? I said, Yeah. And we went, and several people from the church went, as a matter of fact. And uh, it was a story of Peter and Jesus. And I remember they had guitars and drums, and it was a real, just a no set, nothing like that, just a, a monologue. Well, a monologue would be one. Whatever it is with two or three or four people talking. And it was just incredible. It's just stuck in my heart all these years. And that's one of the songs from that. And it kicks off our series called The Peter Principle, where we're going to look at the life of Peter with Jesus. The life of Peter with Jesus. And, and the subtitle is, you know, it's, it's The Peter Principle, Finding Him, Finding Me. And it's kind of like a dual meaning thing because as we, as we read and study the life of Peter, you're going to see Jesus obviously like intertwined with that. And we're going to discover and see some things from Jesus. And then we're going to find ourselves in that story. And then we're going to look at Peter's life and we're going to find him and find ourselves in that process also. Probably of all the characters in the Bible, there's none other like Peter that's more like us. And so I'm looking forward. It's going to carry us all the way past Easter, the the, uh, week after Easter. I'm really excited as we look at some of the stories of his life and how we can bring it forward from the pages of this ancient, wonderful Word of God and bring it into uh, the the 21st century right into our lives. So the first one, the first series, the first message is entitled, Follow Me. Follow me as an invitation. Now, now sometimes invitations are not what they seem to be. Have you ever had that experience before? Invitations are not what they seem to be. Um, when I was 30 years old, for my 30th birthday, I know it was a long time ago, but they really they had restaurants and cars and stuff. It was amazing. And and so what happened was we were I was pastoring at that time. I just just gone into the ministry, and the church that we had come back from Germany and joined, First Baptist Church of Warrensburg, was just a few miles away. And so for my birthday, I was invited out to dinner. And so an older couple in a church that kind of adopted me as their son said, hey, we want to take you out to eat, okay, and we want to take you to Kansas City, Stevenson's Apple Farm, the most wonderful restaurant in the whole world. And so we, we said, sure. And so we get in the car. And we, it's about 45 minutes to Kansas City. And so we got there, and we go into Stevenson's Apple Farm, and we sit down. And the only thing that I thought was kind of strange was that there were like 14 chairs. You know, I said, well, that, that's just a little bit weird. And sure enough, just a very few minutes, people started coming in. And all these wonderful friends we had from Warrensburg first were there. Lots of them were deacons. And just, it was one of those wonderful times in your life when things, all the stars align up and you're a member of a church. And I was a member then. And a member of a church and a deacon at that time, you know, and in the pastorate. And it was just wonderful. It was just really good. Well, so we're sitting there and we're having a wonderful time of all the fellowship, you know. And about this time, I hear a little bit of commotion, and this person, and it was a female, was coming into the room, and she was dressed as a witch, and she had uh, the mask on, she had the pointy hat thing, she had a cane, the whole black thing, it was just weird. And so, so she says, I'm looking for Dwayne Taylor, and I said, this does not look good. And so she, you know, it's Wayne Taylor in here. I said, yeah, that'd be me. And so they're all going. <laughs> so this little witchy lady comes over. It almost sounds like a rock 60 song, doesn't it? 
witchy woman. I think. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so she comes over, you know, and just say, are you Dwayne Taylor? Yeah, and blah, blah, blah. And she says, well, I'm here to read your palm. And she read my palm, you know, some things. And then, and then she says, now, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to uh, just leave them closed, and uh, I, I got a surprise for you. And so I did. I closed my eyes, and I hear all this, this burst now. Now, you understand, all the waiters in the restaurant have gathered in the room by this point. Every person eating dinner has now stopped. And so we hear all this commotion going on, and they, she goes, okay, open your eyes. And the witch has turned into a bunny. And I don't mean a bunny, I mean a bunny. So she had her little black velvet one-piece swimsuit on, little rabbity. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you. And these are all deacons from First Baptist Church. They have done this to me. And so we're sitting there, you know, and I'm just about to... Judy, you, there's a lady there named Eunice, and she was more, more uh, conservative than my wife, which is pretty conservative. She, I think, by this time was under the table. Judy was going to jo- join her. And Bunny begins talking, you know. And her final statement was, is that we're going to do what bunnies like to do. And I, she goes, you know what that is? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> And she said, we're going to do the bunny hop. And so we do the bunny hop around the table. Now, again, I had no idea. It was one of my favorite memories, though, of of life in my 30s, that they cared enough to do that. But I thought I was just going for dinner, and I got so much more. And, you know, here's the deal. Here's the deal. That is just like God. Now, you go ahead and make that tie-in, okay? Go ahead and make that tie-in. God and bunny. Bunny and God. I don't know about that. But anyway, it's just an amazing time because the invitation seemed one thing and turned out to be another. And, you know, often with God, you know, when God makes that call to us, you know, the Bible says that, you know, we don't come to God when we're ready. Have you figured that out? You know, some people say, well, when I'm good and ready, I'll come to God. Well, that's just not how it works. Or I'm going to sow my wild oats and then I'll come to God. Well, that's just not how it works. How it works is, is that God calls us. And we have the opportunity and the privilege to respond. You know, Jesus himself said, no one comes to me unless the Father draw him. And so, so that's how it works. Well, well, again, you know, we think that when Jesus calls us, when the Father calls us and woos us to the Son... That, that involves, you know, a call to heaven. And here's, here's the big idea. Here's the big takeaway. And I want you to put it within certain parameters. But here's the big takeaway. Is Jesus, when we trust Jesus as Savior, when we become followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, Jesus doesn't invite us to heaven. He invites us to follow him. Jesus does not invite us to heaven. Now, that's part of the gig. That's part of the gig. Dinner was part of the gig that night, but it was much bigger than that. Well, Jesus doesn't say, oh, I want you to go to heaven. Here, I'm going to invite you to come. If you'll, if you'll believe in me and trust me, then, then we'll do that gig together. No, no, no. It's bigger than that. He, he invites us to follow him. And that's exactly what happens in Peter's life. So we want to look this morning in Luke chapter 5 in the first 11 verses and look at this incredible call of Jesus on the life of Peter. And in the process of doing that, we're going to learn some incredible things about Jesus that jump right into the pages of our lives. So Luke chapter 5 and verse number uh, 1 through 3 to start with. Here's what the Bible says. So it was, as the multitude, think large crowd, as the multitude pressed about him, capital H, that would be Jesus, to hear the word of God. 
as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. Here's the first thing I want you to learn about Jesus. That Jesus knew how to gather a crowd. He was the master of the crowd. You know, you know, we work sometimes in churches on how to draw a crowd, how to, how to get people. Well, Jesus was the master at gathering a crowd. Everywhere he went, people flocked to Jesus. Everywhere he went, people flocked to Jesus. Now, here's the incredible thing, and this is something I heard Andy Stanley say a long time ago, and I mean it really just buried itself in my heart as something I need to learn personally, and we need to learn as a church and individually also, and that is this is that, that people who were nothing like Jesus liked him. People who were nothing like Jesus liked him. And people that were nothing like him, he liked them. So here's this, here's this odd couple, if you will. You have, a, you have like, if there's anybody holy, and, and it, he was, you've got holy God in the flesh, you've got Jesus, and these, and these sinner people would like flock to him. I mean, prostitutes. Tax collectors, you know, you know, big sinners and little sinners, they all flocked to Jesus and liked him. And liked him. And I think it's incredible that the Bible says they pressed to him to hear the word of God. It wasn't like he was giving away Mustangs. It wasn't like he was giving away candy. He did give away a couple meals, but that wasn't the draw. You see, the draw was Jesus himself. Wherever he went, people wanted to be with Jesus. And here's the deal. Have you ever heard that old Texas saying, you know, you dance with the one who brung you? You know, that's what you do? You know what? In this culture today, we we try all kinds of things. We try new programs. You know, we we try whiz-bang worship. You know, if we can get the biggest lights and the biggest sound and the the most in the praise band, all those things, um, we get the preachers to dress down and, and, you know, do all kinds of things there. You know, trying to draw a crowd. You know, we as a church must never forget something. We got to dance with the one who brung us. People flocked to Jesus because Jesus was the draw. People flocked to Jesus because Jesus was the draw. And I believe today, that the more we can be like Jesus as a church, the more we will draw people to church. People just are not interested in religion. I just got to be honest with you. They are just not interested in religion. But they're deeply interested in authenticity that they find oozing from a people of God who are sincerely seeking and serving the one true God. That draws people. You know, it was my privilege just a couple weeks ago to do Betty Thompson's funeral. And uh, we were sitting around my office talking. And, and it was just incredible the love that this family had for one another. It was really was really a cool thing. And in the room there were, were several grandkids that grew up in our program here, Brent. Uh, Brooke was there. Brittany was there. Rhett was there. I think that was the three that were there. And, and they're sitting there, and, and they're talking about their grandmother. And finally, finally, Beth said these words. Beth Lane, the daughter, said this. She said, Betty was the draw. When the kids came home, they came home to see Grandma. They wanted to see Betty. Why? Because Betty was this incredible person who loved them unconditionally. Betty was this person who just made them feel special. Well, guess what? That's the way Jesus is. Jesus is the draw. And people will flock to hear what he's got to say. So what made Jesus so different? The way he saw people. 
the way he saw people. Let me read to you from, again, a very favorite scripture of mine, and you probably know if you're around church too much, you probably know this. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, you've heard it before, but listen again. So Jesus went to all the towns and villages. In other words, he went where the people were. He didn't, he didn't like lock himself in, in four walls. He got out to where the people were. He went to all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. Now, it's kind of ironic is that, you know, back then, you know, people went to church just like they do now. But here's the deal. When you went to church, it wasn't like an encouragement thing. It was like how bad thing you are. I mean, the Pharisees did a really good job of making people feel guilty. I mean, you went to church, ah, a good dose of guilt. We just love it. That's kind of what happened. Well, they, he went to the synagogues preaching the good news. So, so the, the priests and all those guys were up there going, guilt, guilt, guilt. And here comes Jesus with this incredible love, this, this freshness. Someone said, he teaches like no one we've ever heard before. So people, again, at the, at the synagogue where they're used to one thing, all of a sudden was hearing another message. And you know what the message was? It was hope. It was hope that there's hope. No matter if you are a tax player, no matter how much you think you've sinned, there is hope. And you know what? That message has not changed. The message of the gospel is that by God's amazing grace and through the sacrifice of His Son, there's hope for a lost world. We don't need to be casting rocks and telling people how bad they are. We need to be telling people how God loves them and died for them and that their grace, His grace, can be sufficient for even their sin. That's the gospel message. That no matter what they have over in Central Asia, where they have the, the, the Islam faith, the faith of Islam, and, and, they're, they're, and they're, they're, they're bound by that. And our missionaries are going there and telling them there's a message of hope, that there's a God who loves you and sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. So, so he went and preached this message to the synagogues, and, but he didn't stop there. The Bible says he was healing Every disease and every sickness. There was a, um, a practical compassion. So here, watch this, watch this, watch this. You combine a message of hope, that there's hope, with practical compassion. Reaching out and touching. You've got an opportunity today to make an act of compassion. See, now in that foyer is a table. And on that table now it is full of canned goods. And that, in case you didn't, get it, in case you didn't hear it, those canned goods are going to the Four C's, which is the Ministerial Alliance of Food Ministry here in town. The food that was brought today is going to practically touch hungry people's lives. And guess what? You forgot your can. No, but you didn't forget your wallet. So there's an opportunity when you leave today to stop by the table that the, the, the Daisies and the Brownies and Girl Scouts have set up and drop those dollars. It's not going to our budget. It's not going to our coffers. It's not going to sit in our checking account. You've got the opportunity to buy food for people who are hungry. How good is that? How good is that? What an opportunity to make a difference. That's what Jesus did. He offered a message of hope and practical compassion. When, when we do our school supply giveaway, it's for parents who are struggling to, to buy school supplies for their kids. When we do the blessing basket ministry in February, a week's worth of groceries to people who are struggling to eat. It goes on and on. Judgment House and Vacation Bible School. All these are filled with. The Mercy Corner is going to be opening in just a couple of weeks where people can go and get good used clothing. Why all that? Practical compassion. It's what Jesus did. 
Now, I love this. Well, it gets even better. Verse 36 in that Matthew chapter 9. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. There were people that were hurting, and he saw them, and rather again, rather than casting judgment or being repulsed by them, he embraced them. I'm telling you what, when, when, the, when we learn to be like Jesus and as individuals and also as a church family to continue embracing the people around us, the kingdom is greatly impacted. I love this too. Listen to this. One more. Mark chapter 1 verse 40. Listen to this. A leper came. And you know, lepers walking dead, don't touch, unclean, unclean, outcast of society, thrown out of church. I mean, it's a bad deal. A leper came to him, imploring him, begging him, kneeling, and said, If you will, you can make me clean. What a statement of faith. He says, Jesus, I don't know you really well, but I've seen you've done some incredible things. I know you've helped people like me before. Hey, if you will, you can help me. And you know what Jesus said? Moved with pity, moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him. I mean, you know, one of the biggest selling items right now in flu season is what? hand sanitizer. We cannot wait to get to a bottle. I mean, come on now. Come on. Come on. Come on. You, know, you, you shake hands and boy, you head to the bathroom and wash your hands. No, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But I'm saying is, I'm saying this, we make careful not to spread germs. Jesus didn't care about germs. I mean, leprosy was, was putrid sores, limbs falling off. It was a bad gig. It was a bad deal. And you know what he does? He touches it. He Somebody say, ooh, because that's the truth. And he touches him. And he says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was clean. So, so Jesus was the master of the crowd, and he knew what to do with the crowd when they came. He taught the word. He showed practical compassion. Now, not only that, Jesus was not only the master of the crowd, he's also the master of creativity. Now, watch this. In verse number, the rest, uh, rest, second part of verse number one. So, he stood by the lake. Now, you've got to understand something. This story is going somewhere, and it's not where you think it is necessarily. And so, it's no accident that he's by the lake. Now, it wasn't like they put flyers up and said, Attention, Jesus will be preaching at one o'clock on Thursday down by the lake. Word just got out. People were watching for what Jesus would do next. And so there was probably some foot traffic around the lake because they were fishermen and all that going on. And so, so Jesus is there and he starts talking. And all of a sudden people start just flocking to him. So he's down by the, by the lake of Genezareth. And verse number 2, he saw two boats standing by the lake. Now, again, this is it. He's the master of creativity. Now, if I'd been there that day, Brent, if you'd have been there that day, You'd have said, oh, look, there are two boats. Oh, look, there are two boats. And we all would have done that. Jesus, as the master of creativity, looks beyond that. He did not see two boats. He saw opportunity. He did not see two boats. He saw opportunity. And he seized that opportunity. The Bible says that two boats were standing by the lake. The fishermen... One of them is going to be Simon Peter, by the way. The fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. 
So they had fished all night. The boats were on the shore. Jesus sees the boats. He's got an idea. Okay, he's got, he's got, he's got lots of ideas. He's got an idea. And so the fishermen were over there washing their nets. And the Bible says, verse 3, Then he got, one, got in one of the boats, which was Simon's. How ironic is that? The guy the story really is about, he just happens to pick Simon's boat. How ironic. Okay? So he, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now notice something. The guy he wants to really get his attention, he picks his boat, and what does he do? Hey, get in the boat with me. Push out a little bit, will you? Would you mind shoving me off and getting in? And so here now we have the guy that, that Jesus ultimately really wants to talk to. He gets him in a boat. And so while Jesus is teaching from the boat, Peter's listening. He's no longer washing nets. He's got his full attention on Jesus. But the amazing part, I think, of this story is, is that Jesus takes boats and turns them into pulpits. We need to do the same. We need to do the same. We've got to understand that we've got to keep on being creative in ministry to reach people. We've got to be creative in ministry to reach people. And you've got to understand this. Creativity does not mean compromise. Did Jesus ever once compromise his integrity? No, he did not. But today, listen, the message will always be we're sinners. Jesus died. By grace we can be forgiven. Repent of your sins and follow Jesus. That never, never changes. But sometimes our methodology must change. Sometimes things have to be a little different to reach out and touch. We've got to be willing to adapt as a church. Some of the things we do happen because someone said, hey, what about that? Let's try that. I know it's really hard for Baptists to say, but we've never done that before. You know something? The most creative thing in the universe was the cross. Think about that for a minute. The most creative thing in the universe was the cross. When God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, before the foundation of the world was laid, looked forward and saw that we were going to be sinners and we needed a Savior, this was planned. And what a crazy thing. Have you ever thought about how crazy the cross is? Let me explain to you one more time in case you missed it. Or perhaps you're here visiting and you really have never heard that part of the story. So here we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in heaven. God the Father, God the Son said, okay, all right, Jesus, you're going to go down to earth and be born like as a human. And we're going to make it a little twist here. We're going to make sure that she's a virgin. In other words, it's not going to be the normal way that children are conceived. So, so you're going to be conceived by a virgin. The Holy Spirit's going to be your dad, okay, your father. All right? And then and then you're going to grow up and live a perfect, sinless life. You're going to have three years of ministry to impact the lives of people. And then they're going to nail you to a Roman cross. Because Jesus already knew all this. They're going to nail you to a Roman cross. And you're going to suffer and bleed and die for the sins of man. Because they messed up, you're going to die. And that's exactly what happened. They nail him to a Roman cross. He bleeds. He dies. They put him in a grave. And three days later, he does what no other man has ever done. He got up never to return to death again. Wow. How about that? That's a crazy story. It's a crazy story. I mean, how creative is it 
Because you know what? Come on, come on, come on. You know what your brain says. Your brain says, we'll work till Jesus comes. We're going to work for our salvation. We're going to do good. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. If I perform enough, God will love me. That's what we would think. But God was much more creative than that. He said, I'm going to provide a way for every man, woman, and child, black, yellow, green, or red, rich man, poor man, beggar man, or thief. It doesn't matter. Whoever's willing to come into the family, the price has been paid. Come. How creative is that? And we've got to be that way. We've got to be that way. The, the new covenant was such a creative idea. I'm glad the old covenant passed and the new covenant came. So, so what should be our response to all this? Listen to what Paul said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, okay, so we're in New Testament. Paul writes a letter to the church at Corinth, and that's what we have here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, listen, Paul says, after saying several things more, he says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I know, again, that doesn't make a lot of sense out of context, you know, just jumping in the middle. But for someone who was weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And here's what he says. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. That's our mission. Today, if we want to win people to Jesus Christ, we've got to become all things to all people that we might win some. And that does not mean compromise. But it does mean being willing to adapt. First Baptist Church started this incredible ministry on Thursday nights. Joe Thompson... Got an idea and said, hey, why don't we feed people? How innovative is that? So on Thursday night, they knocked on a few doors. They put a small ad in the paper. And Thursday night, guess what happened? Hungry people show up at their church. Sometimes 30, 40, 50, 60 people show up on a Thursday night. They feed them soup and sandwiches, feed them whatever's available. A lot of them are teenagers. A lot of kids come even without parents. How innovative. They adapted. They saw a need and met that need. And guess what? They've invited us to be a part. We're going, to, we're going to have the opportunity to have a part in that. How awesome is that? We've got to be constantly willing to find ways that we can reach people so we can earn their trust and share the gospel with them. That's what Jesus did. He was the master of creativity. And that's what we need to do. Keep being creative. God, how can we reach people? Help us to be fresh. Help us to be creative. And then... And then Jesus is the master of the call. He's the master of the call. Here's what it says in verse number 4. So, when he had stopped preaching, everybody's favorite part of the sermon, when he stopped preaching, okay, <laughs> I know, okay, okay, he said to Simon, who's going to be called Peter, he, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Okay, now keep in mind, keep in mind, it's no accident, I told you, it was no accident this meeting took place by the lake. It was no accident that Jesus is talking to people. It's no accident that he had Simon's boat. And Simon's now in the boat. And it's no accident what's about to happen. So he looks at this tired fisherman who's already fished all night, didn't catch a thing. He looks at this tired fisherman and he says, Hey, launch out into the deep, okay? Let your nest down and you're going to catch fish. Now, do anyone know, does anyone know what Jesus' trade was? He was a carpenter. He was not a fisherman. So I can just get inside Peter's brain. You know, he's going, fished all night, 
haven't called anything. It's the wrong time. The deep is certainly not the right place in the, in the, in the morning heat of the day. It's the wrong time, wrong place. Jesus, you're a great, listen, you're a great carpenter. Go build a table. Hey, you're, you're a great teacher. I just heard you did a wonderful job. You're a great preacher. But would you leave the fish into us? He just kind of forgot something. He's going to discover that Jesus is not only the master of people. He's the master of fish and fishing <laughs> and fishing. So Peter goes, okay, nevertheless, at your word, I will let the net down. Okay, Jesus, I don't, I don't know what the point of this is, but listen, to appease you, I'll let the net down. There was not a statement of faith here. It was like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll do this thing. <laughs> See, Jesus knew Peter. And he, he knew what would get Peter's attention. What was Peter? A fisherman. What better way to snag the heart and the attention of a person than something they're deeply interested in? In this case, it was fishing. But here's what I want you to understand. Write this down if you're taking notes. What's about to happen was not about fish and not about fishing. It was about Peter. What Jesus suggested when he said, let your net down, go out to the deep, let your net down and you'll catch fish, was not about catching fish. It's about catching the heart of Peter. And I'm glad we serve a God who will catch the hearts of men. I'm glad he, we have a, a God who will catch the hearts of people. You know, it's already Matt Oshel has been mentioned once today. You know, I only know, what was it, four or five years ago, four years ago? You know, every other year they have a conference called Together for the Gospel, T4G. And a group of our guys, and First Baptist guys, and a couple from our church, they go together as a group of guys. And that year, Matt went. In fact, Matt went every year. And he went. And Matt thought he was going to hear some incredible preaching, have some incredible worship, and be with his friends. At that conference, where he thought he was going to hear some good preaching, some incredible worship, and be with friends, Jesus caught the heart of Matt and called him to follow him to a new way. He called him to leave behind his family, his mom and dad, his friends, a very solid career as a lawyer, and called him to Central Asia. And that went. Because Jesus snagged his heart. And I, my prayer, I think, today is, is that Jesus would keep snagging our hearts. Because when Jesus snags our heart, it changes us and makes us willing and able to do whatever God calls us to do. I don't have time to tell my story. But i just tell you this. You know, 12 years in the Air Force, it was going to be a career. I was happy. And one day, God snagged my heart. And after 12 years, I left the Air Force and jumped into the ministry not knowing a clue about it. I'm going to tell you, it's been an incredible ride. God's given me the privilege of being, being and doing so many different things for His kingdom. And I'm so grateful He snagged my heart. But I'm praying God will snag your heart and your heart and your heart. Not, not to become a pastor, maybe not go to Central Asia, but to help in the food ministry, to give school supplies away, to give to Annie and Lottie and Kim and Chris and all these different ministries. Why? Because you gave your heart away to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Well... 
The Bible says in verse 6, Well, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat and said, Come and help us. And they came. And Now listen to these words, because again, I think the Bible's literal. It came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Dwayne, do you believe that they filled both boats so they were about to sink? I sure do. Anybody with me on that one? I sure do. An incredible thing. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's the point. This was not about a financial windfall. Fishermen in those days, what happened the night before? They fished all night and caught nothing. And now under Jesus' command, two boats are filled to the brim. This was a windfall. But listen to this. It wasn't the windfall they thought. This was not about Jesus saying, Hey, Peter, you were faithful. So because you let me use your boat, I'm going to bless you with a boatload of fish. No, it was not. There's a higher purpose. See, not every failure failure, nor every success is what it seems to be. Not every failure and every success is what it seems to be. This was a huge success for them. But it was not about a financial windfall. It's about Jesus snagging the heart of Peter. How do you know that? Look at the next verse. In verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Now, by the way, I need to pause and say this. You know, this was not the first time he met Jesus. At least two other times he had met Jesus. Okay? So this was not like the first time. But he had never committed to following him as a disciple. Okay? So this, this is not the first time. But, but again, it's, it's, there's just not that heavy relationship. So he falls down at Jesus' knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And what's happened is this. Because... Because there's a crowd, and Jesus drew a crowd where he needed a new pulpit, he got into the boat, Simon's boat, said, Simon, get in the boat. And, and then after that, he goes out and says, now you go outside and catch this, this, all these fish. Let your net down. We'll catch all these fish. And he catches all the fish, okay? All of that together, when Peter started adding it up, said, this guy's holy. He's more than a carpenter. Now, he didn't understand all the ramifications. I understand that. But he figured out Jesus was better than a good carpenter and better than a great teacher. Men who command fish to nets are no mere man. Men who command fish into nets is no mere men or man. So it falls down. He says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And that's kind of how, how God snags hearts. I promise you that night at that conference at Together uh, for the Gospel with Matt Oshel, man, God did something miraculous in that service and snagged the heart of Matt. And our prayer is, God, do something miraculous in our lives, not for financial windfall, not for what profits us, but how we can profit the kingdom. As a church that always wants to be, always wants to be what we should be about. God, let us do something big for your kingdom. See, you can't encounter the holiness of God with understanding and remain the same. You cannot encounter the holiness of God with understanding and remain the same. It will either change you or you will run. 
It will either change you or you will flee. You know, Isaiah in chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah back in the Old Testament, you know, when he had this vision of God, and all, this, all this stuff about God, just, you know, you know, holy, 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 and seraphim and cherubim and all this stuff's going on. And finally Isaiah screams out and says, Depart from me, I'm an unholy man, I have unclean lips, and I live amongst the people with unclean lips. Amazingly, when he got into the holiness of God, it smacked him in the face. These fish smacked Peter in the face. And what was supposed to happen, it was, it was the expected response. What was supposed to happen did happen. He looks at Jesus and says, depart from me. You're holy and I'm not. You're holy and I'm not. You know, it's crazy. Jesus didn't go, well, you're right, bud. Go back and get in your boat. No, no, no. Look what he says. He says, verse 10b, the second part. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. That's a question I like to ask, Matt. Matt, were you afraid? When, when, you, when you realized that this holy God that you love and worship all of a sudden issued this wonderful call, this wonderful opportunity to serve him somewhere in the world. At that time, he had no idea where. Somewhere in the world? Was it frightening? I love, y'all love about God. Over and over and over again, we hear the words, do not fear, don't be afraid, do not fear, don't be afraid. It's amazing. When God snags our heart and we surrender, we don't have to be afraid anymore. It's, it's kind of weird because, you know, it, what's fearful is when we go through this world and really not let Jesus snag our hearts. But what's incredible is when he does snag our hearts. Don't be afraid. I love this too. It's so simple. You know, from now on, you will catch men. Hey, Peter, I know. Listen, you're a great fisherman, right? You knew what to do. When I said lower the nets, you knew exactly how to do it because you had all the skill set necessary to be a fisherman of fish. But I'm going to make something new. I'm going to make you. I guess old King James. Sometimes the old King James is just spot on. Follow me, and I will make you fisher of men. That's what God does. God calls us. He snags our heart, and then He calls us, and He equips us for what He calls us to do. And see, you understand them. For a lot of us, you know, Matt, you, are you still farm some, Matt? Yeah, yeah. See, God uses Matt in farming. We don't have to ship him off to Central Asia unless God calls him to do that. We got folks that are teachers and folks that are bankers and folks that work underground in coal mines. We got people who are retired. We got, we got people working grocery stores. We got people all over doing different things. And the cool part is when, when we let God stagger our heart and He calls us, He uses us where He's placed us. And a lot of times that's just ordinary life. And the cool part is, you know, you get to heaven, you get to hear that well done and good and faithful servant thing. It's not like all the missionaries are going to be in one line and us regular people are going to be in another. God rewards faithfulness. Faithfulness. I will make you fishers of men. <laughs> so the Bible says in verse number 11, so Peter gets back to shore. Now this is the craziest thing. He gets back to shore and the Bible says they forsook all. You know what that means? I'm not sure exactly what that fish was worth, but it was a lot. 
he was probably set most likely, I'm going to guess at least eight or nine months, maybe a year, if all the fish sold. He gave up, he, he gave, he gave up, my English teacher daughter, he gave up financial security for the security of Jesus. It's a good trade. He gave up financial security for the security of Jesus. It's a good trade. They forsook all and followed him. Now, start to sing up. The invitation that was given to Peter is our invitation. The response of Peter is our response. The invitation, come and I will make you fishers of men. Again, whether you're a banker, a teacher, a lawyer, it just doesn't matter. The invitation is the same. Jesus says, come and I will make you fishers of men. I will use you and however you, wherever you are in your life, I will use you for my kingdom purposes. I will make you fishers of men. And one of the commentaries I was reading said these words, said, you know, just because Jesus asked Peter to forsake it all doesn't mean we have to. Wrong-o, bucko. Wrong-o, bucko. See, I honestly believe when we follow Christ, because it's an invitation to follow him and not just an invitation to heaven, you know, that we do put everything on the line. I don't, again... I don't think God's not told me yet to go to farmers and get all the money I've got and give it away. He's not told me to sell my cars or my house and give it away. He's not called me to Montana to, to wear a white robe and sit on a hill and go, Kumbaya. But he has asked me to do this. Dwayne, everything you are, everything you have needs to be on the table. Now, so far, he's let me be a steward of, of things. He's let me stay in Harrisburg and not call me to Montana to sit on a hill and sing Kumbaya. But I think we've got to be willing to lay it all on the table and say, Jesus, it's all yours. It's all yours. Now, I know probably no one told you that when you trusted Jesus. You probably heard that Jesus was about heaven only. No, no, no. Jesus is about following him here, heaven later. And every person... Every, Lisa, every person. Ken, every person. Every person. Marsha, every person. Mike, every person. Every person. When Jesus snags our heart in salvation, he needs to snag our heart in following him. And we simply obey and be obedient. Remember, Jesus isn't just an invitation to heaven. It's an invitation, and may I say a mandate, to follow him. Now, for some of you here today, that means you've never trusted Jesus. You've never, this is all new to you. Wait, what? You mean there's a way I can go? And It's not a giant scale. It's not me working so God will smile and go, yay, you're in. You mean there's a way that's been paid for? Yep. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front, and we would love to tell you about that today about how God loved you so much, He gave His only begotten Son, that if you will believe in Him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. No performance wanted or needed. So that's our invitation. And 
and this too. If you're here today, and I'm preaching to a lot of Jesus followers. Some of them are still listening. We're still on time. We're still on the radio. You know, a lot of Jesus followers. And my invitation is let Jesus snag your heart. Let Jesus snag your heart. And in so doing, you're following Him. And letting, making yourself available for His kingdom use, however He sees fit. Let's pray together. Well, God, I sure thank you for the privilege of sharing today. Thank you for being faithful. I want to thank you that you called Peter and you put all those things in place and you called him and he responded. Jesus, would you snag our hearts? Would you be willing to snag our hearts today? And may we be willing to follow you. For my friends that are here today who may have never trusted Jesus, perhaps someone listening on the radio who have never trusted Jesus, may today be the day when they understand that you love them and you're willing to forgive them based on what Christ did on the cross. Father, I pray you'll give someone the courage to step forward today and take Brent by the hand and say, I want to know more about this Jesus and what he offers. For all my friends here today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you for every one of them. Father, snag our hearts. Snag our hearts in a practical way. Father, help us to, to, to live a message of hope in a world that seems sometimes pretty dark and hopeless. Help us to, to practice practical compassion in our lives. Be willing to share and to give and to love Jesus as you do. So this is your time. Speak to men's hearts, women's hearts, student and children's hearts. And Jesus, I pray this.